Hello, everyone, from the Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to take you on a trip to a different year of music every week and share our opinions on what we found. Welcome to version 1991, part due. Part due. <laughs> And we wanted part two, but unfortunately that was 1993 that Hot Shots part two came out. <laughs> so we missed that one by a couple of years. Yep. But Matt, we pushed through the first seven months of 1991 on the last show. And it's safe to say that we had some differences, but we're both excited about what's ahead through the remainder of the year. How are you feeling now that we've had time to dive into these final five months? A little conflicted. Mm-hmm. Part one of 91, we kept talking about something big looming in the second half of the year. Yeah, and did. I know me, what I was thinking, easy, right? It's grunge, right? Course, yeah. I, I, was, I was only half right. I didn't look <laughs> ahead past <laughs> July and I was so wrong. Mm-hmm. I hope we don't disappoint people who voted for 91 and don't talk enough about what they liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we hit on everything, but you know, these last five months of 91, they definitely hi- highlighted what a jacked up piece of crap the first part was for me. <laughs> I seem to have had a better time talking about the first half of 91. I think I was having a better time overall while we were talking about the first half of 91 <laughs> with my beer consumption. But I also think, like you say, well, we saw this looming. When I dug into the releases from the year, there's so much more in there than those grunge blah 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 bands Mm. you know dominate the conversation of this era and you're right we might disappoint people i think people expect us to come onto this show today and plant our nirvana flag and yeah i'm gonna warn people ahead of time that's not really what comes of this we recognize it as just another era of music that was significant exactly it's almost like doing 1971 all over again or 77 Mm -hmm. where we had so much but i'm glad you had that connection with early 91. We can't always agree. I love that feeling I get when I hear you talking passionately about the music that you like. That was the beer, maybe. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, though. You drink more beer (laughs) when you're connected to the music, (laughs) right? And it brings it out. And that's that's what's great. In in music, especially grunge, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's that's a passionate form of music. You can't speak like you're in a library and a curator about something (laughs) like grunge. And it's a tricky concept to go back and look at everything that was released in a single year. You're always going to forget something. Uh, Songs cross over in years. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning of 91, it was those crossovers that were getting me through the first part. But, you know, being 19, 20 years old, you're still cognizant of what's going on in um, in other music genres that you don't necessarily listen to. In pre-internet, it's hard work to find something different. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like in 91, you had your pop, hair, country, and hip-hop in terms of ease to find uh, stuff that was popular and you didn't want to just blindly buy a CD based on the cover. No. Part one of 91 was more high school musical. (laughs) And part two is, it's like Quentin Tarantino came in and said, fuck this, and rewrote the script. (laughs) I, I couldn't say it better. I was living that in the moment. In the first half of 1991, I was clean shaven every day, I washed my hair twice and blow dried it, probably put some mousse through it. I wore parachute (laughs) pants (laughs) and I went from that to this time. We're going to start talking about August forward to wearing hand-me-down flannels, ripped jeans, five-day stubble. It was like I, I changed my religion or joined a cult. I went from Bobby Brown and MC Hammer to Kurt Cobain. It was like somebody flicked the switch. 
But you have to admit, yeah. though, because we're from Vermont, it was a pretty easy fashion change. Uh, you, you oh, flan- definitely. <laughs> flannels everywhere. Suddenly everyone just looked like Vermonters. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and if we're going to give indie hipsters shit for starting fashion trend and beer trends, right? We have to do the same for grunge. We can't go easy on it because it's beloved. Grunge had its own uniform complete with uh, facial hair. Yes, it did. It did. Right? I just embraced the Indiana Jones five-day stubble look all the time. (laughs) Anyway, before we get started going through these big releases, there were a couple of significant and sad deaths. We touched briefly on the album Innuendo by Queen being a farewell album of sorts in the first half of 91. And sadly, Freddie and the world knew the fate that was awaiting him. On November 24th, he died of bronchial pneumonia resulting from AIDS. To this day, I think he's bigger here than anyone in the UK. His stature in this country is larger than Zeppelin or the Beatles, and his legacy will last for generations here. Yeah, musical genius, man. Yeah, he was. And, you, and, you can't say anything bad about And him. I think if you did a public opinion poll here in the UK on who was the greatest front man of all time, Freddie Mercury. They just love him that much. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that front man thing. That's a lost art. On the same very, and I'll move along from Freddie because we could wax on and on about him but on this very same day that freddie mercury died eric carr uh the drummer from kiss the fox Mm -hmm. uh he died from heart cancer that's crazy the same day the same day it was later in the day uh and you know he's not the legend freddie mercury was but i spent hours listening to his drums because i was a big kiss fan and we heard rumors about freddie mercury but eric carr it was a complete shock to me Mm -hmm. and you know probably a lot of other kiss fans but he was a big part in changing the sound in the direction of kiss so let's set up august let's, okay, move, let's on. move on yep let's cl- clunky segue out of the <laughs> depressing deaths uh but he- here we go so we left off at the end of july last time and i think it's kind of fun going at this chronologically it's been interesting yeah for this year yeah it, it, and it it kind of sets up like a crescendo right mm-hmm. so going back just a little bit at the end of july uh, July 27th, Brian Adams had the number one song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Yeah. And that stayed at number one until September 7th. <laughs> Seven weeks as a number one song. Um, and obviously pop songs kind of, you know, you know, they reign supreme at that number one spot for the rest of the year. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Pop always wins in the end. That's why it's called pop. And with yeah. this being one of those songs that you couldn't escape, it was everywhere. And while we know we're not going to step too far away from the bigger releases that affected you and I more personally, there were huge pop, country, and hip-hop releases coming out at the same time. We'll touch on those a little bit during the show. If there was ever a five-month period of music to name-check just by release, this is it. We had fun throwing out names in previous shows, but this really is the craziest 44 days of music that got released. And then beyond that. It, but yeah. it wasn't a wildfire. A lot of these bands slow burned into 1992. Yeah. And I, I, and I wonder if people realize that when we get to version 1992, it's going to be impossible to not talk about certain bands. Yeah. Um, they're just going to come up in the conversation. Slow mm-hmm. burn from 91 or not. Uh, we'll just try to keep it as brief as we can. So August was a monster month. Yeah. Metallica released their self-titled or the black album, 16 times platinum, five singles, this record is the beginning of the reasons why some of the other ones will be slow burns into 92. Yeah, that's true. It was so huge, so dominant. It was so big that everything was just kind of in its shadow for a little while. 
This was yeah. the beginning of Bob Rock's relationship with Metallica as well. And he's yes. gone on to do, you know, quite a few albums with them since. Mm-hmm. I think that he really changed their career path. The vocals and the mix, everything was just more cleaned up and punchier and it made it more radio friendly. People were more open to it and ready to listen to it. But suddenly people who couldn't give a shit about Metallica <laughs> couldn't get enough of them. Yeah, yeah. No, and and you, you could definitely hear the sound changing towards that, you know, as they gain more popularity and getting yeah. more money for studio time. But yeah, Bob Rock really did a, a lot of good things for their sound. All right, so what's next? Uh, moving on, after Metallica, The Spin Doctors, Pocket Full of Kryptonite, their yeah. debut. That's another album that kind of had to wait till 92 to get as much traction as it did. The radio station that we spoke about in the version 1993 episode, WEQX, is actually credited on Wiki for helping break this album. It was getting a lot of college radio airplay at the time. I think they were playing around Skidmore, New York, up and down that kind of circuit. And suddenly WQX started playing Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. And because they were getting so many accolades for being such a great radio station, other commercial stations started copying them and picking it up. So it's kind of cool that because they put this song on, a a band that really was kind of small market at the time just blew up. You're right, Wildfire, but it spread across. The slow burn spread for them. Yeah, but once it finally caught on, it was huge. It was massive. So after that. After that, uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yeah. Fear. And this is kind of really a forgotten album right about now. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really hear many people talking about this. I definitely don't hear it on the radio, but that was a platinum selling album with five different singles, a couple in the top 20. Yeah. I think if you um, played walk on the ocean, band. almost anybody would know they've that song and that they've heard. Yeah. It. It's a big album. I owned it and I loved it. I listened to it a lot kind of pre grunge maybe, or in this time before I was mm-hmm. really getting into grunge, but I was an acoustic guitar guy. You knew me when I was young in that age and, this was the sound that I was kind of following, the singer-songwriter stuff. Yep. Yeah, this was the first CD I bought at the record rack in Bennington. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I realized I had been relying on friends for listening to this album, and they weren't <laughs> around anymore, so I had to go buy my own. You wouldn't know it by how legendary it is, but 10 by Pearl Jam is actually one of those records I didn't catch on until 92. Yeah. 13 times platinum-selling album is a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It is an absolute epic album, but nobody really cared when it came out. I know. It took a year of touring and Crazy Eddie swinging from the lighting cage to get everyone's attention. And then yeah, they and did. Nirvana to break too. Yeah, and then they did and, they, and there was big. Well, I think the tour in 1992 was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and they either had Nirvana or Pearl Jam opening for them or it was oh, Pearl Jam wow. and Smashing Pumpkins. But that wow. tour went around the country and it was the Chili Peppers as headliners, but those other two bands. Mm-hmm. And Eddie went out there. Pearl Jam were the opening band with either the Pumpkins or Nirvana next and then the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So Eddie had to do this crazy stuff to get everybody's attention because look mm-hmm. what's coming. They all knew. Oh, yeah. You're going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. How are you? You got to get attention away from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Don't forget That's us. a pretty big task. So yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm going to climb a 10 foot hole and dive into the audience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That feels so <laughs> wrong to say that that album was a slow burn. But hey, it is what it is, right? It, it is. It uh, is. 
<laughs> so let's move on to September. Yes. Here we go. Uh, yeah, this is like Garth, a huge month. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, right? Just rip off the Band-Aid. But I shouldn't say that because probably a lot of people are going to appreciate this. Garth Brooks yes. album, uh, Rope in the Wind. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I'll give you two seconds to collectively groan. Uh, now it's out of our system. Uh, this album debuted at number one on the pop and country charts. Ooh, on both charts. It had, on both charts. It had four runs at number one for eight, uh, 18 weeks total. Wow. So, and one of the highlights for me on this album, I listened to this album in college. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not the album, but a lot of the songs on it in college, you know, as I said, in Gar- you know, Garth Brooks, I couldn't escape it. He covered a Billy Joel song, Shameless, and made it better. It always did kind of sound country to me. Okay. And then, you know, Garth Brooks came along and made a country and he actually, he made that song better. Garth Brooks was flying around the stadium like John Bon Jovi on wires as a country yeah. music star. Yeah. That was huge. That was such a big deal. So, yeah, I think Garth Brooks really was the catalyst that kicked open that kind of modern country rock pop that exists today. And, you know, I went back and actually listened to this whole album this week because I realized that I only heard a few songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's country. Mm-hmm. You know, even the songs that I kind of dug back then, it was more because I was in a group of people that listened to a few of these songs <laughs> and just repetition of hearing it over and over. Eventually, you're like, you start tapping your foot. Next thing you know, you're singing it and you're having a few beers <laughs> to it. Right. Uh, going back to part one. Yep. I kind of mentioned how hair metal was almost dead. Mm. You know, I guess I could have paid a little bit more attention to what was charting because there was definitely stuff as again, talking about stuff crossing over from previous years. So 90 had some stuff still kind of filtering in, but the bell was definitely tolling in 91. Mm -hmm. And I think 92, we will start shoveling some dirt on that grave. Maybe we can have a death mention when we do version 92. We we might have to do that. So RIP hair metal in 92. It's time to put the hairspray down, put it back in the cupboard. Give your sister her, her, her spandex pants back (laughs) and allow the ozone to heal. (laughs) <laughs> but why I brought that up mm-hmm. is uh, Tesla came out with Psychotic Supper. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I loved everything Tesla did up to and including this album. They get lumped in with hair, but they're more like a jeans and T-shirt hard rock band. Uh, this is a great album. I saw them on tour for this one in Portland, Maine with Mark and I think Chris. Um, and looking back, I think the opening bands were Slaughter and Firehouse. That makes sense. Oxley Firehouse was the worst. Oh my <laughs> God. I just could not get into them at all. If you want to talk about reasons why hair metal kind of started to kill itself, it's because of bands like Firehouse, in my opinion. Go. Yeah. You know, and, and Slaughter's a little embarrassing to mention for me, but they had that kiss connection because of Minnie Vincent. Oh, that's um, right. Yep. Yeah. But back to stating Tesla. Psychotic Supper, great album. Yeah, Tesla was one of those hair metal bands that got more respect from me because I thought they were authentic. They Mm. weren't just there to have a good time and talk about drugs and girls. They were actually trying to make good music. Not that those other bands weren't trying to make good music, but there was something else going on there. What You Give is a really good song off this album, and it it still stands up to the test of time, in my opinion. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Then Ozzy came out with No More Tears. Oh, yeah probably the last Aussie album I connected. It was another case of 
a, a rock band releasing a ballad. It was Ozzy doing it. Ozzy done a few slow yep. songs and ballads, but he was oh, definitely, yeah. you know, jumping into that market. And it's not because he did a ballad. I, I got no problems with, with bands doing that. It's just that I played this album so much. <laughs> and again, at college, the guy next to me, fucking played that goddamn song every chance he got <laughs> loud and you could hear people go stop <laughs> all through the hallway those people they probably said the same thing when i cranked screaming trees but, but you were talking about not having the option to go and get access to music it was all they had you're going to listen to the same thing over and over again you didn't have spotify you couldn't go exactly everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know right oh geez memories <laughs> well, there's something else big that's looming, like really big. Yes. And the next two albums, they were they came out the same day as Ozzy's No More Tears. Well, almost three Guns albums. And, <laughs> yeah, three. Yeah. Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusions, one and two. Yes. I couldn't tell you the difference between the two as far as what songs on what. I didn't really listen to them, but you couldn't escape them. I knew I knew the big hits. Uh, this is probably the first week that I actually listened to both albums all the way through. Uh, I've already gone through my challenges mm-hmm. with Guns N' Roses, which is too bad because after listening to this, because after listening to them this week, I probably could have fun connecting with people over these two records. There's some, there's some good music on there. Guns N' Roses didn't do themselves any favors releasing a double album. though. Mm-hmm. I think it was a cool, badass thing to do. But if they had maybe just put out one record, with the best songs from those sessions and held back an album to release like maybe nine, 12 months afterwards, they could have really stretched out their success and maybe not burned out as much, but you probably, they probably weren't going to contain themselves as far as touring and everything. I think that burnout was just going to be inevitable. It was going to happen. I agree with you. They were like animals. Yeah. 100% on what you said about it being a single album. If they had condensed this, And then Mm. you say nine months, but I say save a couple of those songs and release another album two years down the line, set them aside, do a little more writing. And I think they would have attained that Zeppelin-esque greatest rock band of all time status. Probably. Yeah, but no, Axel had to be a douche. (laughs) They were all over the place in 1991. They had a great lead into this album because of the film Terminator 2 and the song If You Could Be Mine that was released oh, on the soundtrack. I forgot about those. I had the cassette single. This came out a year before. So we were hanging on to two songs we knew were going to be oh, on the yeah. new album. The, the B-side was Civil War. I learned how to play Civil War as soon as I bought the cassette. I loved the intro to it. I thought the song was incredible. It was moody. The, the videos mm. were all over TV. And they toured this album before it was released they started touring it in the springtime that never happens with a band today they always make the album tour the album guns and roses were out there building up this anticipation for it it was either brilliant marketing or a beautiful mistake but people definitely went out and bought this album in droves after it came out Oh, yeah, it was in this game. I had forgotten all about those Terminators. Civil War, that's a good song. So back to my challenges with Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. If you want an example of what I find annoying about Axl Rose, and it's more Axl Rose than Guns N' Roses, just listen to Knock It On Heaven's Door. <laughs> I don't hate this band. They have some awesome songs. Duff, mm-hmm. Izzy, Slash, I have nothing but admiration and respect for the music they made. Slash could be the last or maybe the most recent guitar hero that we have. 
But knocking on heaven's door, everything Axel does on that record for the last two, three minutes just annoys the hell out of me. Hi, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that just, it just, oh, it's so annoying to me. And, you know, people love it. I get it. You know, I'm not trying to push buttons, which is something I generally like to do. Okay, but I'll this give you is this. not one of those. I'll give you this. I think this would have been a great live cut for them. But just something that they've done in concert, but not tried to actually lay down as a studio track with that performance. Yeah, his his bullshit, his bullshit that he's doing. Yeah. You're right. I think live that probably transcribes better. Mm-hmm. And probably if they were out touring it, people got into it, and it was a classic song that they were they were doing. I, I people bought into it. As far as Slash being the last guitar hero, I I thought about this because you brought this up earlier in the week. But you don't have to know Guns N' Roses or know what their music is. If you see Slash, you know that Slash. Oh, exactly. He made that much of a statement for himself. His yep. tone, his tone's great. He inspired people to pick Les Pauls back up. Oh, goddamn right. Yeah, in, in a major way. Yep. And you had brought up Tom Morello as a possibility mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. And 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 I somewhat can see that argument but when i'm talking slash i mean in the vein of like keith richards Mm -hmm. eddie van halen you know that kind of just rock and roll guitar hero tom morello he's a fantastic guitar player and he embraces uh new technology and making outside of the box which is something i love his playing for but if i'm talking straight ahead rock and roll I'm wondering if maybe Slash is the most recent one that we have. Hey, man, Slash goes on massive tours called Slash featuring Miles Kennedy. In the, so he right? is the headliner of that show, and he plays major festivals, gigs, stadiums, arenas. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I'm so surprised that people didn't try to emulate his appearance with that mop top and that top hat. I think everybody just said, nope, that's Slash. Yeah, that's Slash. He takes you that. He owns <laughs> that. We're not copying that. That's him. That's him. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, like that That was the first or second week of September. Now let's move on to <laughs> the big week. Yes. Guess what? Two albums came out September 24th. Wait, Same day, both of these albums. Are you asking me? I, dude, I know I'm this. asking <laughs> you. You know this. I know. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the listeners. So the legendary... Nevermind and Blood Sugar Sex Magic on the same day. Same day. I would know how to make that choice if I could only pick one really at that time. If- yeah. At the time, I would have chose Chili Peppers. But to me, the Chili Peppers are a known commodity. They were. were Nevermind, were, Nirvana was unknown to me. So that's probably why I would have chose uh, Chili Peppers. Yeah. I, I heard Nirvana on release day. I, I'd gone to the store with two friends. I was going to Roger Williams college down in Rhode Island and we hopped in a car and we went to the mall on a Friday and one of my friends was going to buy use your illusion one and two had been out for a couple of weeks now and he couldn't wait to buy it and the other one was buying never mind we actually listened to use your illusions one and two on the way back it was probably a 30 40 minute ride so we were just listening to different tracks and cuts and things but then we went back and you know I listened to Nirvana for the first time with my friend and had that Oh, that's really interesting moment. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard before. I, yeah. I didn't dislike it. I liked it, but it, it was one of those moments where I knew that 
I was going to have to he either hear it a lot to really get into it, or I wasn't going to digest it the right way. But eventually, yeah, because there was nothing out there like that. You had to digest it. Yeah, there wasn't anything. But eventually, over the next, I would say, until I went home in November for break, I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit bounce up the hallway out of the different mm. dorm rooms. And it, we talk about something slow burning. This album did spread like wildfire. As soon as that music video hit MTV, mm. Smells Like Teen yeah. Spirit, it was big. It was really, it was groundbreaking and people really grasped at it like it was something that had been completely missing from their musical life. Yeah, I don't remember when I first heard Nirvana, I, but I do remember hearing that name over and over. And then I finally caught that video on MTV and I said, that's, that's pretty great. But what is he singing? Yeah, we couldn't understand. <laughs> you know, I couldn't understand him. He just conjures up that whole Weird Al uh, video, <laughs> the marbles in my mouth. You know, the, the Chili Peppers album, that came out, that, that slow burn, like we said, that's going to be more 92. Yeah. But I know when we were hanging around that summer as well, you guys tried to play Give It Away. And even still at that point, we're talking about Chili Pepper slow burning. We're talking June 92. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little standoffish from this. I, I'm, I'm mm. not too familiar with this material. I almost remember it taking uh, almost a year. I think it did. Before Under the Bridge really caught fire and everybody said, holy, wait a second. This is really fucking great. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we listening to this? Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it takes a slower song to, to break it but mm -hmm. at least it did, right? Because now people recognize how great Red Hot Chili Peppers are. Oh, it definitely did. It definitely gave them the, the stage to the world. Yep. The, Regardless of how fatigued they can be, poor me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that so much exploded at once. It's hard to remember what we were living in the moment of 1991, but this mm. got so big that they could have dedicated a channel to Anthony Kiedis running with his shirt off. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> the new Iggy Pop. But before yeah. <laughs> we get through September 24th, I actually inserted this into the notes just today. Because last week when we were getting ready for this show, I started listening to the album Ceremony by The Cult. I always oh, thought The yeah. Cult was kind of a cool band. And I completely missed this album in 91. There couldn't probably be a more unfortunate date to have your album released. <laughs> the the yeah. same day as Nevermind and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I went yeah. back and I gave it a listen. And it was really good. I would probably have still been a fan of this, this band and this music if the trajectory hadn't changed. I think what the cult maybe suffered from is people wanted to associate them with hair metal. But they weren't. And that's the thing. And when they didn't check that box, people tuned out and they missed out on one of the great rock and roll bands of yeah. that time. Yeah, it's a great band and a great album. Oh, great. Oh, great album. Let's move on. Let's get to October. October. Uh, let, let's see. What else could be in September? Oh, hold on. What could what could have come out in October? Oh, yeah. Soundgarden. Bad oh, Motor Finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it took God. me a long time to become a Soundgarden fan. This album yeah. was almost great to me. But with everything else coming out, I think I originally heard Chris Cornell's vocals as kind of leftover hair metal soprano vocals. I hear more in this album now, Matt Cameron's drumming, the guitar work. There's so much that sounds incredible in the album. But at the time, 
I was kind of like, well, we're getting away from all this now, aren't we? You know what? Thank you for saying that because I thought I was the only one that initially viewed it that way. I heard Chris Cornell's voice and just that of that overdriven guitar. And I'm like, oh, this is just somebody else trying to prolong the agony of hair metal. Hmm. So I didn't give it the time of day at first. Um, shame on me, obviously, because, uh, you know, in 92, when I finally gave it the time of day, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, because because I was seeing that flaw the flaws and getting tired of hair. So I definitely stayed away. And I went back and listened to it this week a lot. And Rusty Cage, does that guitar sound remind you of Pumpkins a little bit? It, just I, on that song. I, it does have that same kind of sound and feel like, I just think it's probably coincidental because of how they both Oh, I think so too. At the same time. They were kind of simultaneously at different parts in the country. Yeah, yeah. But if anything, the Pumpkins would have lifted it off of Soundgarden because Soundgarden had been around for a couple of years at that point they weren't brand new in 1991 this was just a, a seminal album for them yeah i think it was just a happy accident because yeah. the pumpkins kind of like used that sound but is this the grunge the sound time. then is this what is what is the grunge sound? we the, i have a ton of questions in the outline for the show stuff to talk about um <laughs> just for like conversation pieces it's like and I, and I wish we had more time to talk about it. It's like, mm -hmm. what what is this term? When was the term grunge coined? Was it after Nirvana? I mean, what, what box did Nirvana, Pearl Jam, what box did Nirvana, why do I want to have fucking marbles in my mouth? <laughs> what box did Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and, or Soundgarden get put into before that title of grunge? Yeah. Is, grun is grunge, is it, is it punk metal core? Is, is grunge still even a thing? You know, was the name more reference to the fashion? Yeah, it could be. People tried to falsely lump bands into grunge like Collective Soul, right? They, they weren't grunge. <laughs> no, they weren't. They weren't. But because they came out of the time and they somebody saw a flannel shirt went, oh, that's grunge. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, uh, you know, and grunge, is, I think, was maybe just another example of a dumpster genre where if it was new, that's the bin that it went into until mm -hmm. we could, you know, sort it all out later. Well, dude, you know, everybody you know, says that Russ Never Sleeps by Neil Young is actually uh, considered the first grunge album. He, they, they call him the godfather of grunge. Mm, and it had a large part to do with his collaborative relationship with Pearl Jam. Hold on, hold, hold, okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, what? Asshole, asshole Matt's going to come out. Whoa. And I, know, <laughs> and I know some people are probably going to say, came out. I thought he never left. I thought he was always there. <laughs> That's that's like retroactive. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't until there was a grunge label and maybe how he dressed. And really, dude, I'm asking for your opinion. Okay. Not an overly regurgitated talking point. Because mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, that talking point of him being the godfather of grunge, that has taken on the same life as the first person who ever said Queensryche's silent lucidity sounds just like Pink Floyd. You know, and maybe one day that love scorn fucker that spawned all the cold playing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and it's like just one of those things. Hey, now I can have an opinion besides, Hey, that's great. And, and maybe I'm button pushing a little bit here because I like to do that, but that's, this is retroactive. Has I, to be. I, I actually, I think I can concede to asshole Matt a little bit on this. I understand what you're saying. Victory. No. Yes. <laughs> riding, riding the coattails of Neil Young as he was having a major resurgence at the time anyway, with his album freedom 
was mm-hmm. probably just a brilliant marketing ploy for these young bands. It was major free exposure. Yeah, but I don't I don't deny them their influence, right? Oh, if, they worship, if they worship Neil Young, fucking more power to you. Pay homage to the guy that put you in that position or gave you the drive to get to that position. And I'm sure they felt incredibly lucky to have gotten Neil Young's attention. Oh, hell yeah. yeah I'm sure they yeah. were in awe. Yeah. Do you know that Hart actually spent a lot of time with these bands coming up in Seattle? And there's some, yeah. great, there's some great interviews with Ann Wilson. And she talks about hanging out with the guys from Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. But it's story time. There may actually be a godmother of grunge. Oh, sorry. I thought you wanted music. First. But I'm going to give you the new talking point. Okay. This is, this is an article that I read last year, and it's possibly a truth bomb. This story would be about Tina Bell from the Seattle 80s band called Bam Bam. Kurt Cobain did a stint as a roadie, and Matt Cameron played drums for a year in the band. She was badass, and the sound had that driving, thumping bass line. They down-tuned the guitars for the sludgy sound. The vocals ranged from sultry to haunting to screaming. And her lyrics were about existential tension of trying to exist in a world not designed for you. Sounds like grunge to me. <laughs> she definitely she was a woman and she was black. She saw too many white guys who were once in the audience starting to emulate that sound in Seattle that she had helped create and get signed to massive contracts while she was ignored. In 1990, blaming misogyny and racism, she completely quit music. There are a lot of Seattle musicians wondering why they never heard of her and believe she was whitewashed from the scene. It's not a happy story. I'll have to check that story out because mm-hmm. I, I th- that name is new to me. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that because I'm going to – I have something to go look for. Yeah, there's a song called Ground Zero. It's the band. And, and when you listen to it, you hear that Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, detuned sound. Yeah. It just yeah, the it's there. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, third time today, I'll drink to Tina Bell. There you go. (laughs) So, and really, I don't know what your opinion of grunge taking off, but I think to me, it took off because that music world needed that shot of something that sounded different, but it sounded honest. Pop and hair at the time had been, they just got so sterile and really sounded contrived. I think people were just really looking for angry, introspective, honest, raw lyrics and music. And Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain delivered that better than. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I really think, uh, I really think prior to, to this whole explosion, people were just tired of, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say dishonesty, but I keep coming back to this term authenticity. Oh, man, the music world needed what grunge brought to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting and, to plant a flag. <laughs> we, we are starting to plant a flag because, <laughs> because, and and while, and and I think you and I maybe were a little fatigued, a little tired by this music mm-hmm. because we listened to it so much. That's the only reason. Maybe some of these releases, but at the same time you have to realize how important it was for grunge to come along and just look at the rest of the musical landscape, <laughs> give them the double birds and say, fuck you. What you've been doing is bullshit. It's not <laughs> real. 
Yeah, (laughs) right. You're lying to people. You know what? Let's get this back to rock and roll. Be real. Okay. So so here (laughs) we are. This is where we reach the end of the mythical 44 day period that some people consider the greatest in music history. As far as significant releases go, we had Metallica, we had Pearl Jam, we had two Guns N' Roses albums that should have been one. We had Red Hot Chili Peppers and we had Soundgarden. So what's next? Well, we got some scraps to go through, probably more on personal notes. Mm -hmm. This is probably a band when I say it, people are going to be like, what? I never thought you guys would talk about Ugly Kid Joe. What? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But they had had an EP with the first uh, release of uh, Hate Everything About You. Didn't we do this in a band together? Yeah, yeah. Everything I Hate About You? We did. We we definitely did this song. I think these guys were kind of contrived. They were a weird hair metal, if that's what they were. And there was a lot of tongue-in-cheek involved in the music they were making. Definitely. but, But we bought in. And yeah, you're oh, yeah. right. In the summer of 1992, we were doing I Hate Everything About You at, <laughs> yeah. our, at our one gig we ever played. But at all yeah, of our exactly. exactly. <laughs> Was that the same gig that we had to play uh, Achy Breaky Heart twice? Yeah, yeah. That oh, year's coming geez. too. Yeah. Oh, God damn. <laughs> I don't recall if it was 91. It probably was. But do you remember during a live performance of Black or White? Slash refused to stop soloing and kept going on and on and on and on and on. And Michael Jackson goes up to him and he's trying to dance to it a little bit, but then he eventually he starts yelling. I think a sound guy comes out <laughs> and smash off the stage. And Michael Jackson was just visibly pissed off, and Slash just wouldn't stop hammering on the guitar. Those were the moments that made Slash the man. That was rock and roll, yes. just as punk as anything grunge was doing. Oh, yeah. And that story right there is probably the only reason why we would talk about that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that is punk rock. Yeah, that is the that's the definition of being punk rock. He basically told Michael Jackson, sit your ass down. Your time is done. <laughs> the crowd was cheering him on. Yeah. I sent you the Keep video going. clip of it this week so you could see. Yeah, it. that was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That was awesome. And really, after this, December was a wasteland. Mm-hmm. I think. Everybody said, we're not fucking putting out a record right now. (laughs) We're not. We can't compete with all of this. It's like somebody took 1971 and put it into 44 days. We're not going to compete with this. You have to wonder if any bands held records back after the. (laughs) Well, when we get to 92, maybe we'll find that out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So before we finish and get to our songs, Matt, I think we skipped over them chronologically, but we can wrap up the pop releases nicely in a bow. Well, no matter how you wrap it, I'd be happy to chuck Genesis. We can't dance out the window, (laughs) but it was huge. I had a girlfriend who loved that stupid song and I heard it more than I wanted. We also had Mariah Carey and she avoided a sophomore slump and proved that she was the real deal taking over as the queen of pop for a decade with her album emotions. And finally, I don't want to be dismissive about what was going on in hip hop in 1991 because it was big. A tribe called quest had a seminal album major influential album. Ice Cube went solo with Death Certificate. I know this album's not your thing. I listened to it as well this week. Boy, was he upset with the guys from NWA. Every single- Yeah, but I love his voice. I love his voice. Go listen to the first track on it. All it does is tell every (laughs) other member of NWA to go fuck themselves. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And then you had Third Base. They were the first successful multiracial rap act. 
You had MC Search, and he'd go on to have a hit in 1992, so he hung around. Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, you've brought him up in version 1993. And also, there was a hip-hop act I loved called Black Sheep. They were fantastic. Everyone credits Grunge for how big these five months were, but you could probably pull two or three of those big Grunge albums and just leave in all of this other stuff, and it would have still been a massive year. Oh, yeah, exactly. Huge. Yeah, yeah huge. Huge. So are we going to move on to our five? Let's move on to our five. Wow, that was quick. It feels like it just flew right by. Yeah. We're almost afraid <laughs> to talk about those months. Let's get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because I'm afraid of disappointing people because they voted for 91, right? We, so we, I'm afraid we planted of... the Nirvana Pearl Jam flag. <laughs> even though we weren't going to. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. But uh, I'm glad we did. We couldn't help it. I'm glad we did. Because it's it's so important mm-hmm. to not just us, but I, a lot of people in just music in general. But boy, coming up with these five songs, it's, it's kind of a complicated process. Yeah. At times, you know, you go with, do I want to go with what I'm listening to at the time? If, you know, when it's relevant, do I got a new find? It's usually not a problem when you're in your 19, you know, your teens, your 20s. Mm-hmm. There was so much good stuff coming out in such a condensed period of time. When so much of those bands, you know, slow burned it in 92, as we've said a couple hundred times. Mm-hmm. Part of that slow burn for me was grunge. Mm-hmm. And I think for you a little bit as well. I'm a cynical dickhead. <laughs> you know, when something <laughs> gets popular, I give it that side eye, you know, it's like, uh, why does everybody like that? you so much? <laughs> exactly. Let me poke a few holes in there and, and try to find out what I hate. I've been hurt by hair metal before. You're not going <laughs> to do it to me. <laughs> um, and, and to be honest, grunge some of these releases i did it to myself they're a little old Mm -hmm. uh just listen to them too much i also didn't want to neglect a lot of the other stuff that was out at this you know this time of the year because it's pretty easy to forget that a lot of great music was out there other than grunge you know looking back retroactively or i could take the uh, tact that the grunge songs are the best so that's why they're going to be here. And eventually when he, we do a listener poll, they can reflect anything else. Well, no, I That'd can relate to what you're saying. I'm really going to confuse people right now because if they think they knew me in the nineties, I championed grunge and was completely mm. caught up in the scene. But I think I listened to it so much that now I only really like it in small doses. I downloaded yeah. a 1991 playlist, a grunge playlist and had a hard time getting through it. It was great in its time and it served a great purpose for me in my life, but so has other music in past and future years around that. And so then Matt, let's just get on with our five. Let's get ready to share these and pretend that we can hear people groaning every time it's not a Nirvana song. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you go first. I'm going to start with Soundgarden. (laughs) Jesus Christ pose. This was initially going to be Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway. I, I when I saw it, I'm like, wait, that's a 91 song. It sounds so kind of like late 80s. I, I kind of put it in that 89 time frame. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it and I said, hell yeah, that's a great song. Uh, then I listened to it and it's not it's not a bad song, but I couldn't listen to more than halfway through. Hold up. I mean, <laughs> oh, a, asshole hold up. Jim just showed up. As, I know. I'm trying to get a sixth song in, right? <laughs> no, it's just that, Matt, come on. You talk about songs that get overplayed. 
Exactly. That's why I stopped. How how did life is a highway even come into your mind? I I'm sure if we put this song in the poll, it gets some votes. It was a oh, yeah, really definitely. popular song. People really it loved was. It. I heard it on the radio here in Scotland last week. So <laughs> it's it's a worldwide classic song. But Good. you're you're Mister. I get fatigued from listening to this song. I know <laughs> exactly, and I realized my mistake and stepped back. And then you chose Soundgarden. Yes, I chose Soundgarden. All right, Jesus so tell me, Christ tell me why Christ. Jesus Christ posed. This is a um, this is a great song. And oh, as somebody yeah, who grew is. up in a fundamentally Christian household, I was deathly afraid of this song in 1991. <laughs> I was like, "What is this? Oh no, yeah. Jesus Christ yeah. is in the name." <laughs> yeah. But on? then you look back at the lyrics, you're like, oh, "Okay, I get it." Yeah. Uh, you know, and this song is just as relentless as "Life Is a Highway," but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the way everything in this song just starts to build tension from the very beginning, the franticness of it, but his, the way Chris Cornell singing it is more melodic than what the music is in the background. So it's always kind of like building tension, but just kind of holding you back. And then that guitar comes in like an alarm kind of the wow, 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 wow. And he's singing it. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa. And, and I love the way Matt, in this instance, Matt Cameron, he's not just doing that steady 4-4 drum beat, right? He's using his toms and yeah, his snare with the way that the guitars are playing. Yeah. And it just really creates a great song. Mm. And I mean, obviously, Chris Cornell, great voice. I, hey, there's another flagpole for grunge. <laughs> right exactly. there. Yeah. Exactly. Not right. Life is a Highway right. by Tom Cochran. <laughs> Not Life is a Highway. And thanks for going easy on me with that one. That's okay. I That's can't okay. imagine. I can't imagine the ration of shit I would have been in for if I had kept that on my list. <laughs> you still fit in a sixth song, though, just so you know. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> All right. Is it my turn? What's your number one, Jim? All right. My number one. I'm going to go to this hip hop band that I was speaking about earlier called Black Sheep. Black Sheep was one of those hip hop acts that I picked up when I went to Roger Williams. I had a great friend, Ramon, that I would hang out with and you hang out with, you eat pizza and you drink beers, and you listen to music and you're just having a good time. <laughs> yeah. That that was Ramon in this album. And the, Did the you song- just say Ramones? Ramon. No, not the Ramones. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, but the song is called The Choice Is Yours. And how many of these early hip hop guys can say that they got sampled later on by Fatboy Slim? That's the kind <laughs> of hip hop that's timeless. Instead or in of a TV sampling. Commercial. Yeah. But the, yeah, the, I think this is one of those songs that people don't realize what it is, but it's actually a timeless classic hip hop song. It is. I don't think people realize how great of a song this is. No. And this, this album is great. And it's just catchy. I would recommend this album. Yeah. This album's fantastic. I'll check out the whole album because I really like that. All right. That's my number one. What is your number two? (laughs) Uh, I'll go into, well, you kind of hit on earlier. So we'll, we'll keep it brief with Tesla, what you give. Oh yeah. You you said it earlier. This song still holds up just like you. I listened to this album and I, I still really love this album. But I get as soon as I get to this song, I started over and I started over again. It still holds up everything about it. It, you know, at the time and we talk about them getting falsely lumped in with hair metal, Mm -hmm. um, but they separate themselves with just 
you know, just being rock and roll and having a more authentic sound and delivery. Do you know, as we were preparing for the show and I knew this album was there, I went and listened to the song and then we talked about it earlier in the week. And I actually had one of those moments where I had a craving to go back and listen to this song again this week. There's just Same something here. that's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. You said it right. This song never got old. This song never got old. Yeah. And and it's amazing. And I, and I was afraid that it would, Mm -hmm. but as soon as I listened to it, I'm like, this song is still gold. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was my number two. What's yours? My number two. Newcastle that you're drinking. Or is that number three? (laughs) No, that's my number two. It's it's a school night. (laughs) My number two is going to be the song cream by Prince and the new power generation. This entire album is just, it's sexy. I know that's probably pretty much every Prince album, but (laughs) there I was, you know, at 18 years old. And this was the song that put the fire in my loins. (laughs) It it just, I don't know. There's just something about it that I thought was a great, I had the single once again, because singles seemed to be what I was buying at the time. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I just, I, I love this song and that that parachute pants, you know, cologne wearing, hip hop dancing Jim, every once in a while would still poke his head back out and say, "Hey, you want to dance?" <laughs> exactly. You can't deny your true essence. No. <laughs> Yo, and no I'll how, never say. No matter how many layers of flannel I put on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never say no to a Prince song. Yeah. You know, as a guy, you reach an age. And it's really kind of hurts to say anything negative about Prince because I love him so much. But the whole over-the-top sexuality starts to feel a little creepy. <laughs> I almost picked you know? it off. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, and, and I kind of lost touch with Prince after probably the Batman soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And really that was even like, eh, that's just not what I'm listening to at the time. But again, as I said, I'll never say no to Prince. And I'm, I can't wait to hear it on our playlist. <laughs> All right. So that's my number two. It's time for your number three. Um, I will go with something that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Del the Funky Homo Sapien with yeah. Mr. Babalina. Mr. Babalina, Mr. Babalina. Mr. Babalina, Mr. Babalina, Mr. Bob Babalina. Mr. Babalina, Mr. Mr. Bob. Is that an airport <laughs> call? What's going on? <laughs> Was he sitting in the airport one day and he heard somebody getting paged? And I don't know. I, I don't know. He, it's probably something he came up with and, it would, you know, it's infectious. You just want to um, bounce I, to it. Exactly. You know, I didn't really hear this till 93 um, when I was in college, maybe 92. But I'm glad it was out in 91 because now I get to <laughs> I get to bring it up. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun with people with this song. It's not my dorm anthem, the way you had with Marky Mark. <laughs> you know, we I don't think we had like one song. We had a bunch of songs, mm-hmm. uh, but this was definitely one of them. But because of that sentimentality, I'm going to include it here. It's got a great groove. The, and the drums don't sound like overly fake to me. For all I know, they're, you know, they're, they're real drums. Mm-hmm. But this is a great song. Any song that starts with... I think I'm drunk now. Is going to fit in good at a party. <laughs> it sounds like our podcast. <laughs> I looked into the history of Del the Funky Homo Sapien, and he was 18 years old when he recorded this, and it was co-produced by his cousin, Ice Cube, which I didn't, I didn't know. know that either. <laughs> but I agree with you. It, it sounds good, and it grooves. It just grooves. Uh, okay, it's up to you. What's your number three? 
my number three is the song Pain Lies on the Riverside by the band Live. That's why you cut me off earlier. <laughs> this this is uh, off the album <laughs> Mental Jewelry. This album, I'm actually very lucky to fit this in, was released on December 31st, 1991. <laughs> oh. I, can't, I can't squeeze anything in much tighter yeah. than this. <laughs> I remember giving you a ride to work one day in Bennington, mm-hmm. and I was listening to Throwing Copper, the mm-hmm. album after this one, and we shared the opinion that it's it's just a better album than Mental Jewelry. I think I remember saying to you, well, I hope you don't mind that it's throwing copper. And you're like, man, everybody wants to think that Mental Jewelry is a better album just because it's your first one. But throwing <laughs> copper is the shit. Uh, and, I, and I felt this, this wave of like relief going, God, somebody else thinks the way I do. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was. And I could possibly pick a song off of Throwing Copper when we get to that year. Oh, easily. But it may also be because... I went to the Throwing Copper record release party. Ooh. Yeah, there's there's a story that's going to come for that year where I introduced Ed Kowalczyk to his wife. I'll tell you that one down that's the line. A, that is a tease. It is. <laughs> but that's a story for a future episode. However, I picked this song because I needed to show some respect to live. I completely lifted the baseline of this song for the Cinderblock Baby song, hey. A God That Loves. Apologies. <laughs> You know, I I definitely was more than inspired, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, well, here, you know, I'm here today to show my respect and admittance to this. <laughs> yeah, and and you do. I don't know if you remember this, but the gig that we played together at Marlboro College mm-hmm. in Brattleboro, and you were kind of like introducing the band, hey, blah blah blah, and then when you introduced me, I completely lifted this baseline from what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I was too nervous to remember that. That was my first ever gig. So, <laughs> all right. So that's my number three. Number four, on to you. My number four is going to be Squeeze Me Macaroni yeah. by Mr. Bungle. <laughs> this is some funky goodness. It's funky and wacky as hell. Uh, Faith No More is obviously the gateway drug to Mr. Bungle because mm-hmm. of Mike Patton. Um, I got this from Mark when he was in College of Maine. Because great music, that's what older brothers are for. This didn't strike me as Mark's music, so that's great. I... Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, this was more of a solo listen. I didn't think people would go along this ride with me. Uh, this is the kind of music that just leaves me in awe that I don't understand how somebody goes into a studio and a song like this comes out. Can I don't understand how it's written. Can I pose the question that maybe this was what replaced Zappa? You know what? I was going to say that exact thing. Because <laughs> this, is, this is so reminiscent of Zappa. That's why because, we do a podcast together, Matt. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like um, every song is the second side of Abbey Road. Yeah. Where, where we got little snippets of songs and we're going to put them all together in one. Yep. Right. Um, <laughs> but in Mike Pat- and Mike Patton can fucking sing. He's a great singer. That dude's got an incredible voice. Mm-hmm. It is mental math music to a degree because of the constant changing of even styles within a song. Uh, but for some reason, I just I really dig it. And re-listening to this album and remembering what I was talking about recently helped me reframe something for myself that we'll get into the future. Yep. But. Mr. Bungle, this album is awesome, but Squeeze Me Macaroni is a 
great song. That's fun. Great choice. <laughs> Good song. All right, Jim, take it away. What's your number four? My number four off the YouTube Act Hung Baby album. The song is called Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses? I'd been temporarily broken up with by my first real girlfriend. I spent hours driving around town like Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything listening to the album. <laughs> and this was one of those songs that I just rewound and listened to over and rewound and listened to over. Mm-hmm. It's it's a heartbreak song. And yeah, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, if you were there at one point in your life, we all need these songs to drive around in our cars and sing along and heal our broken hearts too. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's one of those things where in a way it's therapy because you're driving down main street, mm-hmm. no matter what town and then turning around and going like, back up main street. And then turning yeah. Around. But you got the windows down and you're blasting the song. And in a way it's therapy because you're kind of bearing your soul to anonymous people. That was a good choice. That's a good choice for them. It was a good breakup song to lament my sorrow. <laughs> hey, we all need those songs, right? We do. We do. So number five then for you. Oh, number five to me. Your uh, final song. This is oh, my final song. Um, sorry, grunge fans. It's not Nirvana. <laughs> I'm going to go with Apple Pie by the band White Trash. This was an MTV find for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember being in Connecticut visiting family. And I remember seeing this video and the video for Metallica, uh, Enter Sandman. Yep. All, all, all the time. This is a really good, talented funk rock band. Great horns. I don't know if that makes people think. I don't know if that makes people think of like the boss tones, but it it's not like this is funk. It's not ska, and it's not Chili Peppers kind of funk. It's not. The no. energy. No, the, the the energy on this whole album. But it's but specifically this song is incredible. Everything gets its moment. The horns, the bass, the guitar, the the singing. I got stuck on this album this week because I forgot how much I really loved this this song in particular. Yeah. yeah. Great, great goddamn song. Just go to YouTube. So find that song. It's awesome. Find that go. album. <laughs> All right. I'm done waxing eloquently. Oh boy. Not so eloquently on white trash (laughs) what's your number five my number five well i am gonna i guess maybe put the flag in a little bit and i'm gonna go with one of the big grunge acts you had soundgarden at the top so i'm gonna finish us off with pearl jam and the song surprisingly to many people who are expecting probably black even flow alive why go uh once that's but that's that's, the poll that's side one but I actually I turned the record over. <laughs> <laughs> and on side two is my favorite song. And that's Porch by Pearl Jam. This is my favorite Pearl Jam song, hands down. I put this song on here for 1991, but it really captured and became one of my favorite songs of all time when Pearl Jam finished their MTV Unplugged performance with it in 1992. Mm. If you recall, Eddie flying Superman on the chair and writing pro-choice on his arm and standing on it and falling off of it but it was just such an epic end to a rock band playing acoustic guitars like rock instruments it was it was Mm -hmm. a great mtv unplugged show and that performance but i've always appreciated going backwards and still listening to this rock version of it i love that it's not a chorus verse chorus song it Mm -hmm. 
has an intro. It has this long drawn out bit in the middle. And then it slowly builds back up using Eddie's voice as the lead to it coming back. And then when it finally breaks, it's vicious and it closes like a, a rager for a rock song, just absolutely <laughs> like crazy. So yeah, Porch by Pearl Jam. If somebody came to me today and said, you know, Jim, we're going to start a cover band and we're going to play one song by Pearl Jam. What's it going to be? I realize it wouldn't be everybody else's favorite, but for me, it's Porch. Yeah, but Porch is one of those songs that kind of highlights the magic of grunge. Yeah, it really does. Eddie Vedder is one of the great lyricists of our time, I Mm -hmm. think. I think whatever he, whenever he kind of opens his mouth and talks, I, I pay attention. Yep. I agree. I agree. Well, there we go. That's number five. That was the collective, like, tension release from having to go condense five months into like an hour-long conversation which normally we would take a whole year to do yeah well you know we had to condense the first seven months into an hour-long conversation but this was a better oh, one yes. this, this is more was, fun to talk about so much so normally at this time we would say hey we're gonna go to this year next but we are going to come to a screeching halt and we're gonna stop progressing or digressing <laughs> in years and we're going to do a cleanup episode clean up next week aisle 69 <laughs> hey i thought we were going to stop being juvenile <laughs> <laughs> but next week on a very special episode of the jam year book we're we're going to do a cleanup episode so we realized that in like i said earlier it's tricky going back and doing a whole year there's things we've left out uh but mostly i think maybe highlight how much we've kind of grown and changed Mm -hmm. our approach to doing the show. I think after Um, every show, we always have a conversation though of, Oh, I meant to to say this. I meant to bring this up. I meant to mention that. And everybody who's listening in, we're actually going to give you the choice to add one song per year. So instead of adding five, like we've done in the previous years, because I think trying to get that poll together would be way too much. We are each going to go and do a cleanup and Matt will get a song for a year and I'll get a song for a year and Matt will get a song for a year and I'll get a song for a year. But if you listen to this, all of you will get to pick one song for each of these six years that you missed at the start. Guess what? It's your turn to wrap the show up. So you're going oh. to tell everybody goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Farewell. So long. Auf Zane, Whatever she says. In- we're gonna. We're, we're done talking. Ninety one. Finally. Yes. Um, took us two episodes, but it needed two episodes. So we want to thank everybody again for tuning in because we like that phrase, tuning in. Uh, and thank you for. Uh, if you got a comment on the show, go to the Facebook page. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell Jim he's an idiot. We don't care. We love it because <laughs> um, because we're, we're here to we're here to have fun and to elicit a response because that means you felt something and it prompts you to interact with us. So don't hesitate to go to the Facebook page, uh, leave a comment, keep listening, keep uh, please keep listening. We thank you very much. Tell a friend, tell a family member, whatever you got to do, help us grow this thing. And from that, we will say goodbye. So, Jim, what do you have to say for yourself at the very end of this? At the very end of this, peace, love, and podcast. <laughs>